podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Wolves Weekly, sponsored by MyDieselClaim.com. Hello there, I'm Mikey Burrows and welcome to a Press Pack special episode of Wolves Weekly. Featuring Liam Keane from The Express and Star, The Athletic, Steve Maidley and TalkSport commentator Ian Danton. We'll discuss Pedro Neto, his value and why the gossip pages are suddenly interested in him again. How Enzo Gonzalez could be the next Pedro Neto and an assessment of Wolves eight games into the new campaign. But we start with Liam Keane with his thoughts on our exclusive interview with the sporting director Matt Hobbs. The initial point to take away from less what he has to say really and more the idea of him speaking publicly is that um, over the last 12 months or so I think Wolves and Wolves fans are starting to realise they're in a position where I think they've got a sporting director in Matt Hobbs who's quite open is eager to communicate and for supporters that should be yeah, an, an incredible positive because it's not something that Wolves have done regularly in the past. So that would be the first thing I took away from it is that I think it was um, it, it, it was a positive that he did it and it was a positive that he outlined fairly openly where Wolves are as a club. Um, taking away the you know the situation in the summer and uh, and and where Wolves are now, I mean, the pressure is on Matt Hobbs a little bit really because albeit the June Lopetegui situation with that was out of his hands, um, he was was tasked with finding the successor and. Um, he needs Gary O'Neill to, to succeed. Um, so far, I think it's been a fairly good appointment considering the context. Um, and taking out of it really was that I feel that Matt Hobbs probably feels that a little bit as well. I think he knows that he needs Gary to, to succeed and needs him to be the man to take Wolves forward into this season. Um, so far, I think he'll be fairly, fairly happy. And, and I was taking away from the demeanour more than the, the words perhaps from Matt Hobbs was someone that I feel is fairly content with where Wolves are at. And I think for fans, that should be, you know, a good sign. Music to their ears. Steve, there's a couple of kind of key points I think I should make before before anything in that that interview was going to happen no matter what happened against Manchester City. Right? I mean, it helped massively that they won the game and it became a far easier conversation than it could have been. But I wonder what you guys in the media kind of feel about the fact that Maybe it draws a line under that period in the summer because we know Julian Lopetegui has been doing interviews. I know he's been on a, a recent podcast as well, talking about the Euro Leagues and stuff. Um, it, the ability to kind of go right now, Matt Hobbs has come out and said what he said, and we can kind of push that support behind Gary O'Neill. That seemed to be what he was hoping to get out of it, from my point of view, anyway. Yeah, I, mean, I listened to, to your interview with great interest, and also the Five Live interview of the night the Monday night club the night before and I wrote a piece on it and my big takeaway that there were lots of little things that I found interesting but the, the big overriding takeaway that I took from it was that Wolves now have a sporting director who is in charge that it was quite it was quite, it's quite clear now that I'm sure it's not some kind of dictatorship but it's quite clear what the line of, of authority is Gary O'Neill answer, answers to Matt Hobbs Matt Hobbs is in charge of the football inside of Wolves and I'm not sure I mean you, you guys have been covering Wolves longer than I have but I'm not sure really that's ever been the case before. Even looking back, looking, looking back to the Kevin Fellwell days, he he almost kind of worked alongside the manager and alongside the club. Uh, and it looks it looks now like there's a very clear line of communication. But Matt Hobbs is, is in charge. Gary O'Neill obviously answered to him. But they obviously work very much kind of side by side. But but that that kind of chain of command is 
probably clearer than it's ever been. Because Ian, you've got a fascinating insight into this because obviously you've worked in the Midlands for a long time before you went and, and had the career that you've had working for TalkSport and others. Um, so you probably know and, and see things around the Midlands a little bit more than maybe other national journalists do. But the idea of a, a sporting director coming out and, and talking in the manner he did is probably not necessarily the norm at other Premier League clubs. I can't, I can't think of too many sporting directors that are, are that front and centre, no, uh, and, are, and are clearly willing to give up their time for interviews with yourself and with, with national radio. Oh, you look at Midlands club ownership, it's had a very chequered past decade. You're looking at Aston Villa, who had their chequered ownership issues before the big money came in when things were looking very, very dodgy. We've gone through this Wolves era with, you know, the Mendes thing and the the super reliance on Portuguese talent and, and looking that way to get players into the club. And it's going to take a while, obviously, for the, the club to sort, sort of smooth their way a different way, the Matt Hobbs way uh, and the way that he and Gary O'Neill dovetail. It's a very important period for, for Wolves, this, because the, the perception from outside in, I think, is that they're almost regarded as a as a hardy perennial of the Premier League, almost. A bit like how Crystal Palace are defined now. I don't think anybody looks at Crystal Palace and doesn't think of them as a Premier League side. They've solidified their reputation, as you say. I don't think Wolves have quite managed to dispel that thing about are they a yo-yo club? Strange, really, when you think about it, the finish that they had with Nuno. But I think there's still that little perception that Wolves haven't quite cemented their reputation at this level. So the Gary O'Neill appointment, from my perspective, made total sense. And you look at what's happened at Bournemouth with Iriola, and I think it, it further makes the point that Gary O'Neill was wrong to have been let go by Bill Foley and the Bournemouth board. Do you think, Dan, in a, in a strange way, um, Wolves are not quite as sexy as they were a couple of years ago? You know when you have those conversations with Perry Groves and others when you turn up to a game, and say you've done quite a few Wolves games recently, we're not necessarily the story in a lot of these matches anymore. No, well, you were certainly the story uh, a week ago. There's no getting away from that, and that's nice. And, and uh, I think... The problem that Wolves have, if you look at it from a press point of view, from being written about nationally, obviously Steve writes about them nationally from the point of view of the athletic. But if you think of the the, the, the standard tabloids and the broadsheets that write about Premier League football, I think it's easy to say this, but the, the lack of a, a regular goal scorer at Wolves, the lack of that superstar up front banging in goals, the way Jimenez was doing before his horrific injury, probably makes Wolves less of a of a, a sexy team to write about. Um, certainly watching Neto the other week at Luton, uh, you know, and his outstanding performances, and my word how you missed him when he wasn't around last season, that's pr- pretty sexy, the, the way he's going about his business. That could, you know, turn a few heads. And clearly it is turning a few heads because I've seen reports from Fabriziano Romano this morning suggesting that Villa are sniffing around Pedro Neto when it comes to January. 
Yeah, you, yeah, there's no real superstars there anymore at, at Wolves, but I like what you've got. I like the, the balance of what Wolves have through the spine of their team, aside from just that lack of... Well, you'd, you'd have to talk to me about Kalajic and whether he's been wrapped in cotton wool since he's come back from his injury, or whether Gary O'Neill's just had a look at him and doesn't quite fancy him for a run of games up front yet. Well, I mean, uh, Liam could probably answer that because I, I know it's been discussed in, in recent press conferences, Liam. Yeah, I think it's probably a mixture of the two to some degree because speaking to, to Gary about Kalajic, um, and he makes a very fair point in, in this regard, he, he plays uh, or starts the game at Ipswich in the in the Carabao Cup and plays 55, 60 minutes and is clearly struggling to, to, to play on. I think he physically can, can feel the heat, really. So I think that's one part of it. He makes his life a lot easier knowing that Mateus Cunha, he's not a massive goal threat, clearly, but I think he's doing a lot of un, unsung hero work, really. Work rate, isn't it? it, it yeah, in, in this team at the moment. He is allowing Wolves to tick over in the, in, the, in, the, in the position he's playing without being a massive goal threat, which, as a striker, you need. Uh, and for £43 million, Wolves will need goals out of Mateus Cunha. But if they're getting results and Huang and Neto are, are, are getting the numbers alongside him and he's doing the key role he is, it makes Gary O'Neill's job a lot easier to not pick the, the other two strikers. And that for Wolves is really their saving grace at the moment because Huang and Neto have been magnificent. Yeah, and Steve, the as, as Ian mentions, the uh, in the last week or so, I think I've read probably four or five times that Pedro Neto's going to Liverpool, he's going to Villa, he's going to Arsenal. I mean, it has started, right? It's suddenly, he's had a, a superb six weeks and everybody's now selling him off in a couple of months' time. Yeah, and it was always going to happen, wasn't it? It was inevitable. But he's such a talented player that as soon as, soon as he found some form, this was going to happen. And I think if we're honest, and I think people behind the scenes at Wolves would tell you this, that they got, they probably expected it to, ha to happen sooner when 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 they signed Pedro Neto, that they, that they thought he might even, even have moved on by now. But but obviously the horrific injury problems that he's had in the last couple of seasons have kind of delayed that a little bit. The kind of reassuring thing for Wolves fans is you don't often see massive money moves happen in January, and it would be a massive money move, I think, to get to get Pedro Neto out, out of Wolves at the moment. So never say never, I guess. But 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 my hunch would be that Wolves Wolves fans can be fairly secure that they've gone into the rest of this season, and then come come next summer, who who knows? I mean, if Pedro Neto keeps up the kind of form he started at the start of the season with, then there's going to be massive interest in him next summer, and it's going to. It's going to be hard to keep him, but but on the flip side, Wolves are going to get a massive amount, amount of money for him, which will hopefully help them build for the next phase of this kind of Matt Hobbs redevelopment. You, you never want to criticise a club for not selling their best players because every club wants to keep their best players. But Wolves have been guilty at times in the last few years of not selling when players are at their most valuable, and they've clearly, uh, you know, it, it's, it's hindered them because Adama Traore left on a free. I think he could have left for, for big money at one point. Um, Neves left for, for good money in the end, but arguably could have been more, you know, a, a year or two earlier than that. So perhaps it will be, a, to, to Steve's point, an opportunity to to rebuild the squad further if and when Pedro does leave next summer. How long has he got left on his contract? 2027, I believe. There might be a year option in that as well off the top of my head, but it's, it's a fairly long contract. Oh, well, that's great. I mean, that means you, you do get absolute top dollar for him. I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out a couple of bids coming in in January anyway, Steve. You know, I, I think that's fairly inevitable that somebody's going to test the water 
at some point if Pedro continues the consistent form he's been showing. I think that's almost inevitable to happen. Then it's a question of the resistance of Matt Hobbs and the Wolves board to those approaches and whether, as you say, Liam, they think, right, this is the best chance to get top dollar. We may not get this amount of money again. We sell. Very intriguing. That's where the the kind of the Matt Hobbs evolution of, of Wolves, if it were to happen in January, if Pedro Nato were to leave for big money in January, that that's where you, you want the Matt Hobbs structure at Wolves to really come into its own. But, but you would hope that the the recruitment team he's put in place and the recruitment process that he's put in place would mean that they already know who the next Pedro Neto is, who they would go and move for if that were to happen in January. And I think that would be the case. A little caveat to this question, and this is a difficult one, but and it's going to be fascinating to see the difference in, in where it goes. <laughs> Obviously, they kept hold of Maximilian Kilman in the summer. That was a player that had a, a fairly hefty offer come in. Um, I think even Matt Hobbs has admitted that. Uh, it was heavily caveated by the fact that Kilman didn't want to leave and and therefore they were able to resist that money. So it, it's not necessarily a money thing that they've let people go for, but I think we're all realistic enough to know there is probably a figure that they would do business. So I'm interested in, in what you think that figure may well be uh, in terms of what his valuation is maybe to externally or maybe what his valuation is to Wolves. Yeah, I think his his valuation intrinsically to Wolves is probably a bit higher than it would be on the market. I think if you look at what Mateus Nunes went for in the in the summer, fifty million pounds plus, obviously a massively talented player, but didn't have a great season in, in in the Premier League. You look at what Ruben Neves went for, like approaching that fifty million with only with only a year left on his contract. I think if Pedro Neto continues anything like the form he's shown so far this this season, you've got to be looking looking at it's considerably in excess of the, of the Nunes figure for me. For me. You've, got to be, you've got to be looking at, I would say, 65 plus. Because if you're delivering every week in the, in the, in the Premier League, which is <laughs> the old cliche, the, big, the best league in the world, but it probably is, you're talking about one of the best players in the world just by definition there. So, you, so you've got to be looking at 60, 70 million, I would say. I completely agree on the on the fee with regards to Neto. I think if Nunes is left for, for 53-ish, you're talking another record fee uh, at least I would say uh, and then back to my earlier point with Wolves letting players go at their top value you, you know compared to to Brighton or Brentford when they do eventually let players go they get top value and then they reinvest and that's where Wolves are getting to I believe in terms of the structure of the club behind the scenes and that's the model that they they need to follow they need to get top dollar for players at the right time and reinvest in the squad for prolonged success going forward so the local boys are at 60 to 70 million. And is, is that a, a realistic figure from what you've seen on the, the national market? It's extraordinary, isn't it? When you, you just, you can casually throw out 60 million pounds uh, as a fee. And we, it, none of us bat an eyelid at, at the thought of it, which is the way that things have gone at this level over the past 15 to 20 years. Yeah, it's not unrealistic based on, Particularly with the length of contract that Liam's mentioned, um, so there's a you know the, the the fee obviously ramps up pro rata because of that, because of what he's been doing. The only slight worry is his injury record, and and you know, you know the medical will be all important, you know, and any buying club would be 
very careful to make sure that he's okay and that you know he's he's a good investment for the long term for them. Yeah, maybe sixty for 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 Neto. I probably wouldn't go as far as seventy, but if two or three clubs get involved in a Dutch auction, then seventy is well likely. Wolves Weekly with Mikey Burrows, brought to you by MyDieselClaim.com. We were talking before about the the future planning and looking ahead. Maybe Steve, they might feel like one day if Pedro Neto does leave. They have a replacement in Enzo Gonzalez that I know that you've been doing a feature on recently, who's a young boy who arrived this summer, who we haven't seen a great deal of, but there is hope for, right? There is. I went to see him play in the under-21s at Dagbar against Leeds a couple of weeks ago. And what what I saw, to my untrained eye, was pretty much what Gary O'Neill's been describing in these press conferences, that here's a lad with a lot of talent. You can see that he's confident on the ball, that he's he's direct, he's, he's got a trick, he's got a turn of pace, but he just needs to work on the the tactical and the structural side of the game, certainly out of possession. And as Gary O'Neill said in his press conference last week, that's not that's not being negative, that's just where he is as an, as an 18-year-old who's just arrived from Paraguay. And as I mentioned in my piece last week, he didn't even own a suitcase to, to, to bring with him because he'd never been any further, any further than Brazil to play, to play a football match. So <clears throat> I, 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 I think maybe there was a comment from someone when he signed that, that, that he'd been signed as a first as a first team player, and and I think maybe that's been misunderstood a little bit by fans. I think what that means is that he's training with the first team most days. I think he's travelling with the first team to pretty much every away game, but I don't think we should take that to mean that he's going to come in and play twenty games this this season because he's an eighteen year old lad who's just arrived from Paraguay. I think. They're going to work with him, get him around the first team group, get him some minutes in the, in the, in the 21s. But not many 18-year-olds from any, from any country come, come in and make an impact in the Premier League. You've got to be exceptional to do that. Well, I mean, we hope he's exceptional at some point. When you've got a nickname of the Pearl of Paraguay, then hopefully there is something there. But the, the comparisons to Neto, Liam, are actually quite strong, aren't they? Neto signed from Lazio alongside Bruno Jordao in a deal that was actually quite a lot of money for for two untried and untested teenagers at the time. And Jordao very much was part of the 23s. Neto was in the first team squad, one for the future. And and that feels like that's where Enzo is right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really um, good comparison there, actually, and, and one to look at because you look at the trajectories that both Bruno Jordao and Pedro Neto have gone on. And it doesn't mean Bruno Jordao is a bad footballer by any means. He's had injury issues. His loans haven't quite gone to plan. Um, and he's clearly not in the in the in the picture with Wolves at 24. I think he is now. Whereas Neto, who's not 24 yet for a few months, I don't think, and um, he's been linked with you know multi-million pound moves elsewhere, and is, is Wolves' star in, in the Premier League as it stands. Now, there's a lot of decisions and context that go to either player taking either path, and Enzo Gonzalez is sort of in that area now where the path is in front of him. You've got a path to regular Premier League football at a very good historic football club in the best league in the world. There'll be a lot of things that, you know, we'll, we'll need to go for him in terms of luck, but equally a lot of it is down to his hard work and his effort. And all of the noises I'm getting out of, of Wolves at the moment, and, and obviously we've seen very little of him, is that he's a very happy, smiley, bubbly character, someone who's happy, who's settled in well. And if all of those things go right at the very beginning, which they seem to have so far, 
then it leaves him with a great foundation to build upon that. But there's a lot of work to go, as, to, as, as Steve said there. He's very raw, very young. He's got to learn the culture, the language. He's got to become truly settled and not just speaking uh, his native tongue with, with first-team players. So it's going to be a long journey for him, I think, to, to, to get to where he needs to be. But if he can get there with the right steps along the way, then that's when the talent will start to come through into, into the first team. When we kind of on a, a general assessment, of, of where you think Wolves are uh, after this stage. Obviously, we got to this second international break. Um, they're on, what, eight points uh, from the first eight games, going into quite a big game uh, coming up, uh, for Gary O'Neill especially. Where do you think they are, Liam? I think they're in a fairly steady position. I think the last two results and performances are going to brighten the atmosphere to, to some degree. Um, it's important to note what had come before that in that Wolves had very good performances against United, Liverpool in the first half, um, Brighton to some extent, but ultimately lost games. And the context is context is massively important because Gary Neal had four days before the, the United game came in in a, a, you know, a squad um, in turmoil, really, to some extent, not many signings and a, and a lot of departures. And he had to, to work with what he had. But with all that context in mind and where Wolves are now, I think he's done a fairly good job. But time will tell because it's important to remember what came before, what came with the last two results. Uh, equally, Wolves haven't done anything yet. They've got eight points from eight games. It's a, I think it's a steady start in the context, but games like Bournemouth coming up will tell the tale for Wolves this season. Now, this one game won't define their season, but games like that will. And the Everton one, obviously, which they did win, uh, was a massive one. So um, I, I think they're in a fairly steady position. Um, I think Gary Neal's done a good job in the context. And if he can keep this kind of consistency, Wolves will, will do fairly well this season. I think Liam's word steady is the perfect, perfect way to describe it. You, I think when the fixtures came out, you looked at them and thought, wow, that's a tough start. They had home games against difficult opponents and then away games against maybe the lesser opponents. But they're away games, so they're always going to be difficult in the, in the Premier League. So it was going to be a tough start regardless. And then you throw in the fact that, that, that they changed manager four days before the start of the season. I think a point a game from these first eight games is a pretty good return. But a point a game from eight games still inevitably leaves you in, in a position where your season can still go either way. If the next phase of the season goes well, you're looking up the table. If it, if it doesn't, then you're looking over, you're looking over your shoulder. But I, but I think as far as Gary O'Neill's concerned, with, with what he inherited and when he inherited it, I think... You'd have to say, so far, so good. I look at that game coming up against Bournemouth, and I, having watched Bournemouth being outplayed and outclassed by Arsenal at the Vitality, what, a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, yes, it's Arsenal, who are sort of elite-level Premier League side, but nevertheless, I was expecting Bournemouth to give them a few more things to worry about because they've still got very talented players. They're billing who's turned into this attacking midfield colossus from the sort of defensive midfield player that he seemed to be when he first arrived. Solanke is perfectly capable. I, I, I think Solanke in the Wolf side would be a great addition. I think that would be a an ideal striker if Cunha wasn't around and Kalasic wasn't around. I think Solanke would fit the Wolves mould perfectly. But you look elsewhere around that Bournemouth squad, I'm not sure Iriola's message has quite got through to his players yet in the way that Gary O'Neill is clearly getting the message through 
to his players. It's, you know, footballers are simple beasts. You know, they just need the simple instructions. And maybe, just maybe, having watched Bournemouth, Iriola is just trying to overcomplicate everything for the Bournemouth players. And that plays into the hands of their opponents. Arsenal swatted them aside fairly easily. I don't think Wolves will swat Bournemouth aside, but it's not a game to approach with any trepidation, in my opinion. They've got to break a habit of a lifetime for He Chan Wang, Liam. I know you've got a piece on this. I uh, picked up on it on the last game. Dance will love this because it's one of those really nerdy stats that commentators enjoy in terms of He Chan Wang uh, about to um, go past John Richards' record for scoring in consecutive top flight home games. He only ever scores at home. And I've been really impressed with Wang. I mean, it, it was a pleasure to speak to John Richards about this because, look, John King John, as we like to call him, is a is, is a legend around these parts, and um, a, a, you know, a really lovely man. But he's he's really willing Wang to go and beat his record. Now, look, I know John's got bigger records in his uh, in his repertoire. Don't don't, don't get me wrong, but he's um, I, I, he's been really impressed by the forwards, and equally I have as well. And there's a reason why Wang has been trusted. I think is the word I would use by every Wolves manager since he's been at the club because he puts the graft in, he tracks back, he does the job diligently, but intelligently as well. He's he's very good at adapting to, to the tactics in, in front of him, whether that's on the right, the left, as a nine, as a 10, wherever he is, he's played for Wolves. And I think he's a really intelligent footballer as well as a quality finisher. You know, I look at the goal um, that he scored against Villa. Wolves have been, re- in the last two seasons where they struggled to score goals, they've been really poor at having strikers or forwards make runs into the box and runs at the right time. Huang made two or three runs beyond the, the, the shoulder of the defender before that ball finally came in from Neto. Um, if you keep making those runs, eventually you'll score goals and uh, and taking risks will pay off. I've been really impressed by him. And once you get a little bit of confidence and arm around the shoulder, which I feel like he's that kind of player, you get the best out of him. So Huang's been, Huang's been brilliant. And um, I think, you know, he's got Newcastle and Spurs at home to equal and then beat John Richards' is, uh, record. So it's not an easy task for him, but he's uh, he's done really well so far, so I'm sure he'll, uh, he'll have a good go at it. But you know the remarkable thing, Steve? Like he has equaled the, the amount that the Wolves' top scorer had scored in the last three seasons, and he's done it in nine games. Uh, Dance was mentioning earlier about the Raul Jimenez kind of thing of when, when Wolves were sexy. Is he Chan Wang making us sexy again? I don't know. Is he bringing sexy back? You know, I think I think Pedro Neto is making 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 more sexy again, just for the way just for the way he plays. But Huang, as as Liam says, he's maybe he's maybe not the most the most sexy footballer. Into but what he does, he just follow he follows instructions, doesn't he? And he if you've got a player who works hard, does does the job that he's instructed to do, and also chips in with goals, which he's done in style this this season, then he's worth his weight in goals, isn't he? And I think. Some praise has to, has to go to Gary O'Neill that we all know how Wolves have struggled, struggled to score goals and create chances in, in the last two or three years. Obviously, it helps when you've got someone like Pedro Neto in the kind of in the kind of form that he's in in, in individual terms. But still, Gary O'Neill seems to have made some good, some good strides in terms of just getting Wolves Wolves players in the right positions to score goals, which wasn't the case last season. It wasn't that Wolves were missing loads of chances last season; they weren't getting in, in positions to score goals, and now they are. So. Kudos to Neto and Wang, but also kudos to Gary O'Neill for that. Go on, Dance. I know you'll appreciate it. I know Justin Timberlake's not the music that you play on your radio shows, <laughs> but you'll have appreciated that reference. I, I, 
think Wang is is a classic example of a, a a Premier League player who fans really take to over the medium to long term. Um, obviously, with the fact that he's from the Far East, you get I'm sure you get an awful lot of Far East media, Korean media turning up to every every Wolves game because that you know that's what happens with players who come from that side of the world. They they generate such interest back at home. That I remember was it uh, a Jisung Park at, at Manchester United. There were always, always journalists from the Far East coming to watch him play. So that's sexy enough in itself because you 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 know it, it helps Wolves be a bit more of a worldwide brand, as it were. But that would mean nothing if he wasn't putting the hard yards in, and he is. He's clearly a great team player uh, and wants to bring in others around him. But yeah, it, again, it comes back to Gary O'Neill's simple instructions that he's taking on, taking on board and making the most of. I mean, it is extraordinary that he's scored that many goals and it's eclipsing previous goal-scoring records from the last couple of seasons. That's Wolves writ large there, right there, for the last two seasons. It's also extraordinary that Bully never beat John Richards' record for scoring in consecutive home games well, that's it was the, well, it's top flight that's the caveat as as you ah. and, and that's the thing that always obviously gets leveled against bully so and, pub quiz pub quiz there yeah. you go yeah top flight yeah make sure you and, listen to the question well that's what um, makes it even nerdier when you when we have when we go <laughs> specifically into top flight games to rule out the club's top goal scorer well but i mean it long may it continue for huang because huang's development is as Steve says, worth its weight in gold to Wolves. Old gold. Wolves Weekly, brought to you by MyDieselClaim.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.